nostalgia. Okay. Apology, okay. nostalgia. All right. I'll take that. Better? Yeah, that's better. You like it better than dilapidated? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nostalgia. Nostalgia. Nostalgic hypnology. And this, this episode really is nostalgic because this was the first time that we, we I think this might have been our first rant episode. Although I think we've said that a couple of times already, but it was <laughs> probably. So th- this was about the IPA train. Oh God! Uh, yeah, talking about the IPAs and the hazies and all that stuff. And and you had a great line that I have to repeat here, even though you'll hear it in a few minutes when you listen, which is that homebrew is the unregulated unregulated laboratory of the craft beer industry. It's true. It's totally true. It's absolutely true. The the shit people put in their homebrew is mind-boggling mm-hmm. gross yeah. it's it's hey that's how innovation is born no that's the excuse that they use <laughs> <laughs> i will say that's the excuse that they use well that's why we that's why we start doing backyard brew farm because i'm like all right if you guys are going to put all this wacky stuff in your beer we might as well talk about how to actually use it so that's kind of one of the one of the reasons we i wanted to do that it makes sense because there's a lot of misuse of ingredients mm-hmm. i'll say mm-hmm. uh, you know what forget about misuse abuse of ingredients uh, let's let's abuse. be honest let's yes. call it abuse but yes this episode is us kind of going off on the ipa trend and and talking about how just how did that get so wrong and and it's interesting that you and i are trading articles there seems to be a bounce back now at least in the media of people complaining about the IPAs and how bombastic it's become. But that that last article you sent me was much more about folks complaining about people complaining about it. It's now become trendy to complain about IPAs. Because it's, it's a meme. Yeah. The whole, anything IPA is a meme now, including the people who are IPA bros. And it's just exhausting. Well, and and including the people who complain about IP, complaining about the IPA bros has now become a meme. Yes. Yes. So it's, there's no, there's no good side to land on because they're all stereotypes and memes. And hey, I, I, I've I, been a I've been a meme for I'm the old man yells yeah. old man yells at cloud. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did I not post on the Discord last week that I was sitting out at the brewery and I almost ran over a dog? Mm-hmm. Was it I almost ran over a dog? No, I almost ran over a child. I'm sorry. They're interchangeable when they're at a brewery. They are, yes. Um, and they're playing in the parking lot where they shouldn't be playing because it's a parking lot. Right. Anyway, listen to the episode. It's fun. James, I've got some... Uh some great slushy beer here in the fridge would you like one i would like one to flush down the toilet can i do that sure sure i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm not supposed to say those sorts of things because they're disparaging and apparently my salty opinion flies in the face of the delicate brewer's sensibilities well why don't we ask them to uh to maybe take this week's with a grain of salt because we're going to let the saltiness fly I think today. Oh, they're going to take it with all kinds of salt, probably pink Himalayan sea salt. Ooh, my favorite kind. <laughs> so we're going to chat. I actually suggested to James we, we talk about this because he seems to have some pent-up issues he needs to, to get out there on the table about some of these um, styles, and I'm going to put styles in air quotes 
because you know you can all see my air quotes right now. And you probably ought to that font probably ought to be like carnival or like balloon animal font and and like tie dyed. So just saying styles. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, I, we we all know that James is a is a is a big time purist when it comes to styles. I will venture out. I'll try everything. I love living right now in the era of the flight. I love being able to taste everything. But there are absolutely things where I'm not going to drink a pint of it. And as much as I love being in this flight mode that we're in in all these tap rooms, I greatly dislike the fact that we're also leaning towards 16-ounce cans because it's tough to try something. I, I love a small glass of a sour on occasion, but I can't buy a four-pack of 16-ounce cans of a sour. It kills me. So, mm-hmm. so anyway, that, that gives you a high level of where the two of us are coming from. But what we really want to talk about today are beer styles and what it is about all of these new styles and the, the what it is and the why it is. Why brewers and breweries are moving over and trying some of these things, sometimes at the expense of what some people would normally classify as, as actual beer. <laughs> I love that as actual, actual beer. beer. Yes, exactly beer. true. Yep. It has more in common with strawberry quick milk powder than it does with beer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of times these, you know, I don't know where the, the, the hazy IPA and all that stuff started. Actually, let's go back to IPAs. IPA is a very legitimate style that's been around for, I want to say, we're coming up on 200 years. Yep. Mm-hmm. But the um, the prevalence of them and the way they're being used and marketed and now all of these offshoots of IPA has just, just, just hockey sticked dramatically over the last couple of years because that's what sells. So let me preface my position by saying this. I also like to uh, taste experimentation, and I think that's fine. And, and probably most of your folks listening know me as a scientist, but they, most of you also don't know that I went to art school first. And so I, have a, I very well understand the, the artisan's mindset. I actually – I have both. I'm the scientist and I'm an artist. And I'm kind of – if you need another ex- reason to call me weird, there you go. But – I think that we have two topics here. We have the pursuit of a higher art form, which I believe should be the goal of any craftsperson, is to hone their skill. And there's no better way to hone their skill than against tradition to be able to demonstrate that, yes, look what I can do. I have the most well-balanced, best, you know, designed, you know, whatever it happens to be. Then there is the market forces that can, you know, drive the prevalence of one style or another, right? So I don't understand what I, my big tie up right now, not right now, it's been this way for a decade, is this, I hear it all the time. I brew what the customer wants. And to all my brewer friends out there, I patently call bullshit on that because that's you are brewing styles that people are drinking and they're drinking it because they're finding it to be different. 
If you put something else in front of them, they will drink it as well. So then my question becomes, why are they not, or the, the, what I'll get is, well, they don't, they don't like, you know, people, the drinkers today don't like these traditional styles. How would they know? Because when you're presenting them, if you look at a tap list, and certainly, you know, a local brewery that's got 20 of their own taps, and you look and there's like three traditional beer styles on there, what are you doing? And every single time there's any kind of marketing is done, pushed out social media or otherwise, is there ever anything that's, hey, come try our award-winning Kolsch. It's the best Kolsch you're ever going to have. No, it isn't. It's about their latest goddamn strawberry quick slushy pop bomb IPA juicy hazy some East Bumblefuck thing. Good luck fitting that on a label. Well, exactly. So that's that's where my position is. So with that... Let's continue. Yes. I I hope we didn't lose anyone at the very beginning because when you led with, I'm into experimentation and I went to art school, people might have thought we were going in a very different direction with that kind of experimentation. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm hoping we still have our audience at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, not... I almost walked away when I heard you go down that path. <laughs> yes. I, I love experimentation from both a scientific and from a creative aspect. That's how new things are developed, and that's how we further our understanding. My, I highly doubt that there's much understanding or craft advancement going on in the face of these excuses to brew things that, uh, frankly, fall more in the line of manufacturing foodstuffs than they do the art and craft of brewing science. I will never forget being on a very early camp out with my son and the Boy Scouts and leaving for the night because I was I was not staying out and tenting with the boys and hearing one of them say to the other, what do you think will happen if we put Doritos in the water we're boiling for the hot dogs? And I swear to God, this is true. And they did it and it flavored the hot dogs. So that is... Um, you know, that is experimentation. It's 10-year-olds. <laughs> mm -hmm. But I have to wonder, there's some degree to which there's that kind of, let's just try this and see what happens. I think a lot of progress, um, and I'm going to look to the pharmaceutical um, industry as a big part of this, comes from accidents. Where sure. you're trying to do one thing and something else happens out of it. Um, I'm Pretty sure the polio vaccine showed up that way. Um, but well, you know. and the the entire history of brewing was an accident. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so many things in in our culture uh, that then become fields of art and technology are accidents. I absolutely agree with you. So the question, you know, a lot of it to me is, how did we get here? How did we get to, um, you know, a hazy IPA example? To, to tell us. For, for those who don't understand, what makes, what do you do to turn an IPA to a hazy IPA? What's the, it's not just a lack of filtering. I'd say fuck up. Okay. Um. <laughs> Give us the scientific explanation, please. <laughs> well, what is haze, right? So when we talk about haze and beer, and certainly if we go back to one of the qualities, the, the traditional uh, qualities against which a beer is judged, it's clarity. So, if you can see through it and it is completely transparent, um, however it can be, it will be colored, but it'll be transparent. You can see right through it. Um, that is 
you know, a clarity. Now, granted, a stout, something very dark is very difficult to see through. You're not going to necessarily see through it. So that has no clarity, but that's that's traditional for its style. If you look at a an IPA, it as an IPA is listed and judged both by modern standards and history, you should be able to see through it. Mm-hmm. Anything that's going to scatter or diffract light photons from going through that liquid is going to make it quote hazy so really it's particles any particles that are floating in that beer that are going to interrupt the path the travel of that photon to your eyeball is going to scatter it and it's going to appear hazy so there's different ways to achieve that in a liquid uh Ultimately, it comes down to suspended particles. The smaller and smaller the particle, the longer and longer it's going to stay in suspension, just due to gravity, right? And if you get to the point where the particle is so teeny tiny that it actually won't settle out, and it won't necessarily even filter out because the particle is too small to even go through filter, to be blocked by filter, uh, that tiny little particle is actually staying in suspension because it's being bounced around by other molecules. That's how small it is. So the force of it interacting with other molecules is enough force to resist gravity. Think about that. That's pretty wild. Now, how do you get to that in brewing? Well, there's a few ways to do it. We know that the interaction of proteins and uh, the compounds in hops and, and from some malts, polyphenols, will create a suspension so you basically are making a particle that would otherwise dissolve now you're binding it with other other compounds suddenly it won't dissolve and now it's a particle that's in there and it'll be suspended so that'll make it hazy you can get rid of that by what they call cold crashing which is take it make it cold reduce the energy right in that beer so there's less molecular uh energy transfer and it'll fall out due to gravity but we want to make that permanent haze we want to make it uh, be hazy no matter what happens. And, you know, you do that by adding certain, you know, uh, malts and whatnot that have more proteins. You can have yeast haze where you don't get rid of all of the yeast, the, the dead yeast cells that are in there, in the beer. Um, so you don't do nearly as much filtering on it. But over time, those things are going to settle. And if there's particulates in there, that means there's all kinds of huge molecules that will break down over time in the beer, either through oxidation or acid hydrolysis. And you're going to form other components, and those other components may not taste as so good, And which is why you don't see many of these hazy IPA styles, which are usually driven by over-proteining and, and high hops, that as they age, they just become gross. So shelf life on those is going to be an issue. Interesting. Big time. Yep, big time. Now, so we're talking about haze here as a as a visual component. Does it really have any flavor impact? Yes, you're going to say gross again. I, I know. <laughs> I'm really, really trying to to answer this uh, and not be a sarcastic ass. So the softballs here are just so easy to toss. I know. Um, <laughs> so okay, science, James. Um, they can however it's likely that they won't have much of an impact Uh, so it really is a differentiator in the marketplace to say well my this is a hazy ipa now traditionally 
and by tradition, I mean in the last three weeks, right, with hazy IPAs coming out of New England. Uh, so I firmly blame you. Sure. Uh, this is your fault. Um, but the this concept of hazy IPA starts with using hops that are that I absolutely hate. The the ones I call you know skunk bombs or I'm gonna make a new T-shirt that says dank is rank. Um, so these hops that have very high polyphenol contents and high sulfur contents, and you super load this, this IPA up with those as well as, you know, overload the protein content and boom, permanent haze immediately. So the, the new England hazy IPA is, uh, indicative of having an extremely bold, hop character, typically with hops that are heavy in sulfur compounds, which some people refer to as tropical fruit, uh, those who are sensorily impaired, I might add. And uh, yeah, so from a sensory impact, the, act, the, the haze is adding very little, but the, the associated hopping of that type of beer style is really what people are imparting. They say, oh, I love hazy IPAs. No, you love the hops that are being used in a beer that happens to be hazy. The haze has nothing to do with the flavor. It's just come to be associated with it, so that's that's being propagated. That that makes Cor- sense. Correct. Um, whereas I would think that the another big style lately, this milkshake IPA, there's actually there's lactose in there. There is a a mouth. There's a mouthfeel component. <laughs> yeah, of that. that that was that came up in my mouth was not appropriate mouthful that was kind of gross but yes you are correct right the milkshake ipa mm-hmm. how do you, do you mean you're putting milk in my in my, how do you get milk out of this well it's the same way you get milk out of a milk stout you're adding milk sugar lactose and so that lactose is a, is a very complex sugar and it it doesn't like to ferment very easily and it adds this very thick, sweet character in your mouth. You get that sort of sense of creamy milkiness from using this milk sugar. There's, there's other ways to do that, too. You can use maltodextrose, which is another milk sugar, um, and malted sugar, maltose, things like that. But uh, lactose is the fastest, easiest, and cheapest way to do that. Again, short shortcuts. So when it comes to beer competitions and judging and all this type of thing these these styles i believe are are except they're either accepted or they're specifically excluded from pure ipa categories they're being recognized as their own avenues they're being recognized now as a specialty ipa category mm-hmm. because there's so many of them and i mean whatever i i don't care what you submit to a homebrew competition but you know the homebrew world is the is the unregulated laboratory of the craft beer industry, right? <laughs> so you could try all sorts of crazy stuff there and not have an issue with it. So, you know, there's a absolute necessity uh, that, the, that the homebrew, you know, hobby, and it is a hobby, but that that continue and be fostered because that is really the incubator for, for craft beer. However, as a scientist, I know when something, when there's an infection in my incubator, and right now... <laughs> I believe that infection in the homebrew incubator is the pursuit of these big, bold, quote, specialty beers because they are easier 
to do than honing a craft on a traditional benchmark beer style. Much, much easier. And so, hey, if I'm going to be a brewer and, I'm, and I want accolades and I want awards, why not make a beer that is not as challenging to make? I have way more respect for a home brewer who wins awards in the traditional beer styles than I do with somebody who can come up with this next great milkshake IPA hazy concoction bullshit. So, so there's accolades and awards, but then there's sales. Yeah. And, you know, you'll walk in. So all different kinds of tap rooms out there. And, you know, we can get into package stores and that kind of stuff as well. But, but when it comes to a tap room... You, we've talked before about the fact that what's new is what you hear very often out of regulars walking in the door. What's new? What's new? So there's an element of this that, that lays there with, well, I need something different for the people walking in the door. And this is what's hot right now. So give the people what they want. Okay. First off, I call bullshit on that. Okay. Because... If somebody wants something new and they walk in the door, what what is it that you want them to experience? If if you say you you and you, I'm blaming you. This is all about you. Oh yeah yeah. Uh, if if a brewer, brewery owner, whatever wants to push a strawberry milkshake IPA, they're going to do it, and they're going after a certain demographic, and that demographic are people who quote don't like the taste of beer. Fine. Don't fucking serve him beer then. And in my opinion, you're not. So that's that's number one. Number two is that somebody comes in and says, I want something different. Okay, well, what sort of different are you looking for? That's a totally different approach than saying, I'm, I'm looking, what's new? I want something different. Oh, hey, here's a great habanero, mango, uh, whatever, floor sweepings. Uh or a brute IPA, you know, going the absolute opposite direction, using, you know, some champagne yeast to, to drive it to absolute dryness. Um, those are interesting technical challenges for sure. However, what is it that you're doing? You're saying, I, I don't know enough about or care enough about teaching you or exposing you to the difference between an alt and a Kolsch. I want to sell you something that I know that you're going to want to buy, and I don't give two shits about your interaction with my product. That drives me crazy. I know that it does, and I'm, and I'm trying to play devil's advocate here because I agree with you to a point. Um, you started this by saying, what does the brewer want the consumer to experience? Mm-hmm. And, and I'm going to take that on the purely capitalistic side and say they want the, you want that customer to experience the act of handing you their credit card. <laughs> I I have never, in all of my personal relationships with brewers, met one whose first response was that. That's not the brewer's response. Which is good. I'm glad to hear that. That is not the brewer's response. That is the brewery owner's response. Mm-hmm. So here we are at odds. And what I'm saying, ultimately, is you can do whatever you need to do to drive business to your brewery. I get it. But if you've got 10 taps... Right, six of them or seven of them are IPAs. You're gonna have one dark one, and you're probably gonna have one wheat beer. And of those, they're hazy, they're milkshakey, they're you know whatever. Look at that. So when you're not a you're not a brewery with a few 
credit card beers, if that's what you want to call them. That's not what you're chasing. It's like, why have those other ones on tap anyway? Well, because somebody who's going to come in is going to want Bud Light and we have to have something for them. Mm-hmm. We'll serve them a Bud Light in a bottle then. Well, we can't do that. We're craft brewers. Bullshit you are. <laughs> no way. And we've talked about the fact about guest taps in the past and that one of the reasons to have them is to test other styles in your brewery or provide them to folks so you don't have to brew them yourselves. So that's, to your point, you don't have to brew those styles if you don't want to, those classic styles. And maybe there are brewers out there that really do fundamentally enjoy brewing those. But I think what this comes back to for, I I know for me, and I I believe for you as well, is what's in these brewers' heads? Are they doing it because it's easy, which is one of the things you've put out there, that it's it's an easier way to go? Are they doing it because it sells or are they doing it because they actually really like this stuff? And maybe there are some of them that they do like it. I've, I've never spoken to a brewer who hasn't said, oh, of course, I love a good lager or a Kolsch or a Pilsner. Um, they are harder beers to brew mm-hmm. and they don't have the audience that they once did. IPAs didn't always have this audience, but something changed in the market. It, it takes people... It takes brewers and breweries educating the consumer to move that line back over and create a trend on Pilsners or a trend on Stouts. And so let me just clarify one point there is that I I don't say that they're easy to make, these other styles, because they can be as technically challenging in, in a brew house as any other general style. However, what they do is that there has to be that there can be less care taken and less focus in 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 the the variables for making a very good beer and a very bad beer that that line with say a a, a good pills or a Kolsch, um that line between good and bad is razor thin but when you start adding all these other adjuncts and things to modify palate and flavor and and aroma less attention can be spared um, to to making those styles. And I think you can mask issues oh, absolutely. very easily. It's, sure. You no, know, the way to get a kid to eat broccoli is to pour cheese sauce all over it. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that that's I just want to put that as a caveat. But yes. I like where you were going with the with the the consumer in the tap room. So I mean, you were telling them, telling me earlier about about taking your dad to the tap room, and I think that's a great story. Yeah, so why, so, don't you tell, why don't you share that? Sure. So my father, hi dad, um, is very much a a light beer drinker. He's a he's a Blue Moon or a Corona kind of guy. Th- those are the things he enjoys. So um, w- one of the places by me that I absolutely love has has a wit beer, which is is Blue Moon done right, is the way I would describe it. <laughs> nice um, and. Um, my father was coming up to visit and I wanted to take him there and I found out two days before he was coming in that they were about to kick that one. And I was so disappointed. Now they've got a lager on tap. They've got, um, they've got a, you know, a bunch of different types of IPAs um, and they do a Gruit. They do some different classical things as well as having the IPA. So they actually are one of the more balanced menus that I've seen. Um, but they, and they were bringing a new wheat beer back on tap, but it was a, it was a fruit wheat beer. And Knowing my father, who is, you know, you know, 
older generation just doesn't like that stuff in his beer, that was going to be a tricky one for him. What I probably was going to do, and we didn't end up actually going, but I was going to need to do there was probably throw a flight in front of him and give him a couple things to taste and see what was going to work. Because I knew the one thing that he would have wanted to sit, he would have said, well, can I just order a Blue Moon? Don't they have that or a Corona or, or a Bud Light even, something along those lines for me to drink? I want to expand his palate. I don't think his palate is is open to expansion. <laughs> and, well, there's there's that. There's the sort of the, this is what I like, and that's the only thing I'm going to drink, and everything else, all right, I'll do it because I'm hanging out with my son, but I'm not going to like it even before I try it. Mm-hmm. So there's that. Yes. Um, but but in terms of the, the audience in the tap room and – and by extension of that, anybody buying it, you know, in package, what is their expectation when they go there? If they're going to go there because that this brewery makes beer, but it doesn't taste like beer, and you're seeing an uptick in taproom sales, which is, you know, probably what most people should be focusing on now as a business model uh, because of the profitability, I understand how one would end up driving to that while why all their 10 tap handles suddenly get taken over by these quote beers that don't taste like beer. Mm -hmm. But what does that say about what you're doing as a brewing business? In my opinion, you might as well be making flavored Zima or hard root beer at that point, because it doesn't taste like beer. Well, last time, as I understood it, at least in the modern sense, a brewer makes beer. Well, you could, and I could, in my kitchen, concoct an alcoholic beverage that has mouthfeel and, and has milkshake qualities and blah, 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 but it's not beer. And, and that's, it's such a tricky line there because it's, you know, we keep saying it's not beer. It is what has become socially acceptable as beer and, and marketplace right. acceptable as beer. So doesn't that make it beer? Well, certainly if you look at it, you say, well, it's got malt and it's got yeast. I'm like, yep, so does malt liquor. You're still, like talking, you're still talking science, though. And I'm, and I'm thinking more about market. And I'm a consumer. I walk into a brewery. I'm not going to look at the fact that there is a, a milkshake chocolate cherry IPA on that menu. I'm not going to look at that and say, well, that's not really a beer. Because that's what I am now accustomed to seeing as a beer. I'm sorry. What an awful life. <laughs> Look, you know what's even you know what's even worse than that is being a traditional beer style lover and having those styles be the endangered species. Look, there was also a time that you couldn't go out to to a store during the day and see someone wearing their pajamas because that wasn't acceptable and now those are considered pants. So exactly, those are pants. Things things in do first evolve class on an airplane. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Things evolve to the point where where the the social norm takes over the scientific definition. That's true. And some people would say, well, just because it was tradition to wear powdered wigs during the Victorian era, I mean, we don't do that anymore. But what you're saying, James, is that because it's such a highly regarded tradition that it should continue. Mm -hmm. That's not what I'm saying. Absolutely not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that what we currently call, we human beings in this day and age currently call, quote, craft beer and the 
mentality that's associated with the craftsperson is no longer equally applicable across the industry. When somebody says, I'm a craft brewer, and I look at their beer lineup, and all I see is those beers that I would consider, quote, not beer, I'd have to say, really, you're a craft brewer. Now, what you mean is that you're a small-scale food processor, because craft, to me, means something different. And people will say, I can't, you can't make those traditional beer styles and, and, you know, make a living and blah, blah, blah. And I, to that, I also call bullshit because there's plenty of brewers. That's all they focus on and they do quite well. It's a matter of what the focus is. So, uh, you know, is it a bit of semantics? Yeah, it's totally semantics, but it's just not true that those people I would consider, and I, I put this on, uh, this is all coming gang from a, from a rant and an engagement on Facebook mm-hmm. a few weeks ago. And, you know, somebody's saying, well, you know, craft beer is all about experimentation and all about this and all about that. And I'm like, that's homebrewing. And then at the same time, do not call yourself an artist if you're only focused on the dollar. Because if those people, what did I say? I don't remember exactly how I put it, but I'm sure my rant's still up there. But you know, ultimately, it's like, all right, what I'm talking about as a craftsperson and an artist and certainly in the brewing world and what I would expect people to be trying to continue to pursue their craft and update it and hone their skills is and and what I see in the market now is like looking at the difference between an artist who's driving at Monet and an artist who's selling velvet Elvis paintings in the gas station parking lot. Yeah, quote, they're both artists. And one's probably selling way more than the other because you can probably sell more Velvet Elvis paintings uh, a day than anybody's going to sell a Monet, and I get it. But I'm trying to bring this conversation up as and be so vocal about it as a point of highlighting that the industry is driving people and breweries to focus more on the small-scale food processing aspect and less on honing their craft. That's it. I don't know where to go from there. I'm, I'm, I'm letting that sink in because it's definitely a, um, it's definitely a legitimate point of view. I, oh, I come get, on. You're just pacifying me. To some degree. I, <laughs> I also do understand the experimentation side, and I, and I do want to clarify that I did try the fruit wheat beer and I enjoyed it. I like that kind of thing. So I, I, I'm by no means saying that um, that a particular story with my father, you know, was a was an an epic fail. But it did remove a very core traditional style from the equation. I had a uh, was it last week? I had a cucumber was it cucumber sea salt goza, hmm. and. It wasn't too sour. It wasn't too salty. It had just the right amount of cucumber in it. It was very well balanced with all of those things. And I would say, and people say, James, that's not a traditional beer style. You can't put that anywhere. You know what? You're right. However, the craftsmanship that was executed there with the balance was exquisite. And And I was impressed by that. So you just used an important word there that you use a lot, which is balance. And Mm -hmm. so much of... Of I know what gets you going on brewing and on, on especially these hot bombs, are things that are unbalanced. 
So I've seen, right. I've actually seen you enjoy an IPA and say, wow, the balance here is perfect because it really is about that meeting of science and art mm -hmm. to get the brewing just right. And when you take those things out of balance, that's when you get a hot bomb. That's when you get something that's oversoured that to my point at the very beginning, I can't drink in a 16 ounce can. That's fair. I would say that balance is my number one indicator of, you know, does this brewer know what the hell they're doing? Mm -hmm. Or are, I should say not know what the hell they're doing. I should say, is this brewery, the first question that comes into my mind, they do this on purpose? <laughs> because if they're like, oh, we can sell so much of this, it's just, you know, I can't even keep up making it. Right, but it's not, it's it's poorly balanced. That means it's poorly made, apparently from my palate and from a technical perspective. But if it's selling, I, I question their motives well you've got to allow a business to be a business and to make money so there's you know just like you want a beer that's balanced you do want a tap menu that's balanced if you end up in a situation where yeah we tried putting a kolsch on the menu no one's buying it well maybe it's because you've got seven versions of ipas i i was out this is a while ago but with a couple of friends at a brewery some one of them someone i don't go out with all that often and we got up to the front, and this particular place has about 20 taps, all made in-house. And some really good stuff, a Golden, an ESB, they do a little bit of everything. They, uh, they had a Gradesky on tap for a little while. I mean, just some, some different styles. Mm -hmm. And he looked at the bartender and said, can you just give me four different IPAs in my flight? Because mm -hmm. he didn't know any better, and yet he was faced with a menu of possibilities and learning. Right. So is it, is it the job of the person behind the bar to say, okay, I'm going to give you three IPAs and a fourth something else that I think you might like? Is that really their responsibility? I say yes. If you are a brewery, you, the first interaction people are going to have with your who you are is the person serving you the beer. And if they don't know the difference in the nuances, there's a problem. And I see it all the time, every place I go, where the the serving staff just has no clue. Yeah, I mean, not everyone's going to have a Cicerone certification who's serving beer, because the job is serving beer. Yeah, well, that's not necessarily all that impressive to me. Anyway, so, <laughs> <laughs> no, but at the same time, the brewer, what have they done to educate their staff? You know, the, some of the some of the better breweries I've been to, you know, on their taproom staff, they have weekly meetings where they have beer tastings and they talk about them and they educate their staff because, you know, this, you can't do it like once every other month because your, your beers are rotating. Would I want to work hard, whether it's a mass produced type product or, you know, a, a food processing product or, you know, a uh, a beer that I'm super proud of and I've won awards in the style for, you know, like a, a, an Oktoberfest or something. Would I want people putting that, you know, being my representative of the product that I work so hard on and not knowing how to talk about it? That's stupid. That's like, that's like having a car dealership with salespeople that know nothing about cars. Mm -hmm. They're like, I don't know. You get in and turn the key and it goes. Yeah, you need to match people with the right thing. And, and of course, a, a good tap room is going to, you know, 
hand people little samples of things here and there. Hey, try this. What do you think? Try this. What do you think? Get, getting people engaged. And everyone likes something free, even if it's just a sip. It gets mm-hmm. folks engaged in something different. Right. And I, some people don't like different. Mm-hmm. Some people say that about me. James, you don't like different. No, I love different. But so, I, I'm, I'm absolutely willing to try it. But I'm going to be the first person to say that it's been made poorly if it, if it has or it's unbalanced. As far as the, the employees go, I was at a, just a bar recently with a, with a good tap selection, about, about 20 taps. Nothing that they make. And I was looking around like, well, and, I, and I'm always one that wants to try something that I haven't tried before. And I said, yeah, let me try that one. And, and the girl behind the bar looked at me and said, let me give you a taste first. And she pours a little taste and hands it to me, just kind of looks at me funny. And I said, okay. And I tasted it and looked at her and said, wow, thank you for preventing me from making that mistake. She said, yeah, I've been pouring a lot of those out lately. I think mm-hmm. you might like this. And this was a, a kid, basically, behind the bar who thought enough to help me with my decision-making, even though I didn't ask for her help. And I thought mm-hmm. that was spectacular. Yep. That's what they're there for. They're not just there to fill a glass. They're there to help guide you through the experience that you're, that you've asked to engage in. Mm-hmm. And the number of times, and I'm people, you know, obviously my brewers around here know who I am. And if I'm in a bar and certainly if it's not too busy, somebody will say, Oh, I don't know what I should have. Well, you know, how about this one? And I, you know, it's like, I like this kind of style. What should I have? And the bartender looks at me cause I'm on sitting on the other side of the bar. I'm like, what are you looking at me for? <laughs> I don't work here, right? Go see, ahead. See, that's so funny because the places that I do go to as a regular, I will sit up there at the bar and people come up and start asking questions and I'll jump into the conversation to help out because I, I figure hearing from another consumer what they like may, maybe carries a little more weight than the person who works there who obviously has a vested interest in getting you to stay. So I enjoy, I enjoy helping out there. And, and in many cases, what the servers are telling the people who are asking questions is just wrong. It's just, it's patently false. Either they, they're getting their beer styles mixed up or they are, they don't know and they're just talking out of their ass. But I just, I shake my head and close my eyes. I'm just like, oh, well. And then my brewer friends, you know, ask like, hey, you know, I, I tell them, I was in your bar last week in the tap room and X, Y, and Z happened and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I know this is the stuff that you don't see, but somebody's got to tell you because damn, there has never been an instance where a brewer or a bar tap room owner hasn't thanked me Hmm. because I would want to know from somebody in the know, if one of my people were doing something or saying something that was portraying me in, in a way or my product in a way that was not the way I wanted it. Oh, of course, of course, and we've 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 kind of segued here into into taproom management to a degree, but it's it's very important to make sure your product's being represented properly, regardless of what that product is. <laughs> um, but making sure you're representing it the right way because it's all about return business and word of mouth. But if but we can t- we tie this back to an earlier statement you made about you know does the person behind the bar really. Can, is, are they there to help you figure this out? And the answer is yes. So if I go in there and I say I'm looking for something different, what am I saying? And I think that's the question that needs to be asked, at least 
teaching these people to ask these types of questions to say, what do you mean by different? Are you looking for a uh, an educational experience are you you say i'm looking for something different i don't know what that means to you mm-hmm. when you say di- looking for something different and you say it to james i'd be like wow i just had this amazing you know alt from some brewery in you know bavaria and it's like oh no that's boring well you ask for different what do you mean by different if what you mean by different is i want another fruity milkshake ipa that i haven't had yet with a different flavor sort of like ice cream then whatever Right. So tell me what different means. I just I and so brewers come back and say, well, I make the beer that sells. What is being done in the tap room to sell the beer that you want to make? Ah, that that I think is the most revealing statement I've heard so far today. The idea that, yes, we're making what sells uh, and, and you can get caught in that sometimes. And maybe mm-hmm. to get back to the initial thesis for today, which was are you making what sells or you're making what you want to make? And how satisfied are you with your job as a brewer? Are you doing what you love or doing what needs to sell? But to your point, you can make the beers you want to make and make them sell if you market them the right way and you educate your team the right way. Now, that's not to say that every brewer out there is making a hazy milkshake IPA and then crying themselves to sleep at night because they're dissatisfied. Some of them are perfectly happy doing that. But I they should, hate... They should die a little inside every time. <laughs> okay. Well, served, but... That's... that's the, the opinions by James Altweiss are not necessarily <laughs> the opinions of hopnology. So thank you very much. Um, <laughs> They're 50% the opinion of hopnology. Well, they hop-nology. are 50%. <laughs> Shit. Uh, okay. Um, but if you... Th- this is something that we haven't, we haven't really gotten to yet, this, this statement of, the, of what I'll just call work, work and life satisfaction... As a brewer, you got into this for a reason, and I hope it was love of the process and love of beer and the excitement about putting your unique voice and flavor out there. Uh, If you're at the point where you're making what sells and you're not making what's true to your heart, you've got to find a way to balance that properly, getting back to balance again. And I, I had a conversation very recently with a brewer who was venting about having to make something he didn't want to make because, man, this is selling like gangbusters, and I, I kind of made it on a lark because it was fun, and now I can't make the stuff I want to make because we're busy doing variations on a theme of this this thing that, to your point, James, I'm not sure I would really call beer. And that, that, was, a, that was sad to me to hear this brewer talking about that, a young guy who is at the start of his career and is being, you know, a, a gourmet chef who's working at the fries counter, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, and, and to add into that, he's drinking beer at another establishment because that's where he can go to get the beer that he likes. Yes, yes, there was that aspect of it as well. That's that's equally depressing. So again, I go back to, what are you doing? You, you're a food processor at that point. I mean, uh, I don't know. I. I <sighs> I, I want to cool the conversation down a bit and talk about a little bit about beer innovation and style history for a few minutes. Can we do that? You can do whatever you want. Okay. Do you do you remember in the late eighties, early nineties when ice beer came out? Oh, of course. Are you kidding me? So so ice beer, for those of you too young to remember, because you don't see them anymore, this was a process where you, you did some amount of, of fractional freezing. Mm-hmm. during the brewing process and what that allowed you to do was raise the alcohol content 
without right. really changing the flavor of the beer. Right. And, and this, I believe, just like anything else, was an accident. Um, <laughs> but it became a very big hit, especially Canada. Molson was doing it. Um, it, it became Everybody. A, yeah, everyone natural, did it. Natural Light had an ice. Um, <laughs> it was, yeah, it's just ridiculous. And, and now they're gone. Uh, I think they're gone. I haven't seen one in ages. But when I see all the new, the hazy IPAs, all this stuff, I always think back to ice beer because it took the beer world by storm. Mm-hmm. Everyone had ice beers. And it really wasn't anything all that innovative or interesting. It, it was more science, I think, than what we're seeing now with some of these things that are more adjunct-based. Right. But I, there is historical precedent for what we're seeing now. Um, that did fade out. So if we're lucky, maybe we'll stop seeing lactose. Well, if James is lucky, he'll he'll see a resurgence of pride in, in making the best that one can and hold it up and say, I have brewed against what the world and our history has deemed classic styles and won X awards. And this is something to be proud of and, and to teach people about. I understand that not every beer is going to be that way, and nor am I advocating that people should give up their profitability in search of artistic perfection. But to your point, these things are flash in the pan, and if brewers are being reared, as you just mentioned, a young guy who's you know basically now bottlenecked, and if they are not allowed to hone their skills against you know the the wet stones of of beer tradition when the winds change in style those people are gonna what are you gonna be left with you have an opportunity here as you bring these folks into the tap room for this fruity you know weird stuff who who say they don't like beer to figure out what beers they do like and put them on a on a path that when these trends are over they'll still come back so our, did we just spend an hour shaming brewers into producing more cultures and lagers? Is that what we just did? That's never going to happen. No. I've been trying to do that for since my entire drinking career. <laughs> and It's making me thirsty. I can say that. Yeah. You know, the conversations of hop production make me kind of tired um, and sweaty. <laughs> but, but well, tired in the sense that I, I feel the physical and emotional drain. Talking about beer, I, I just kind of want to go have one. Yeah. I'm going to do that. I I, th- I think I I think I may as well. I think I'm going to need to. So um, I don't know what do we what do we call this one? Be be true to your brew. There you go. How, how about the way you brew the things you do? Little temptation. Ah, there you go. That's that's nice. Yeah. Uh, b- brew that baby one more time. Ah, you're just on a roll. And, and this, I believe, just like anything else, was an accident. <laughs> <laughs>